Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, now celebrating its 10th anniversary. This show is brought to you by Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairytale weddings at Walt Disney World. I'm Carrie Hayward, and each week I feature Disney wedding updates, money-saving tips, and interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney couples. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates 10 years of romance at Disney destinations. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide has been updated with new prices for 2023. If you already own the ebook, you can download the new update for free just by logging back into your account on fairytaleweddingsguide.com. And if you're still thinking about getting the guide, buying the ebook now means that you will get free updates whenever it changes in the future. And now, on with the show. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, I am speaking with Disney bride Dan and Herbert about her ceremony at Tower of Terror Courtyard with a reception at the Brown Derby inside Hollywood Studios. I thought you guys would be interested to hear how she chose those locations and how she planned everything and how it all turned out. So welcome, Dannon. Hi. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I would love to start at the very beginning and find out how you and your fiance decided that you wanted to have your wedding at Disney. I'm probably the uh, counterculture bride on your podcast, but I was actually against having a Disney wedding because I work in the themed entertainment industry. So I was very much like, I don't want to get married in a theme park. I don't want to be near a theme park. Let's do something different. And wouldn't you know it on the path to find the type of aesthetic we wanted, which was Casablanca inspired. So not Moroccan per se, but kind of like vintage glamour with a hint of that kind of North African feel to it. We went to a, a bunch of different places and venues around here, St. Augustine, Tampa, and they were all great options. But every time we went to a new venue and I was expressing our aesthetic overall, I would say, you know, it's very much like the Brown Derby at Hollywood Studios. It's that kind of ivory and deep wood and greens and that little glimpse of glamour from that time period. And one time my now husband turned to me and said, why don't we just get married at the Brown Derby? <laughs> and I said, wow, this is why I'm going to marry you because that was such a simple and smart comment to say. And it kind of changed the whole path and strategy of the wedding. That's interesting because I love the Brown Derby and I don't know why it isn't used for more weddings. So I was very excited to see yours. Yeah, actually, uh, when we did our initial call, because we had a COVID delay, obviously, uh, got paused, as probably every bride you've talked to recently has. When we did our initial call and we were picking our initial dates, they told us that they had actually never had a wedding at the Brown Derby, and we were going to be the first reception venue. And just as a tidbit of information... As a reception venue, the venue price is very little because no one uses it ever. So it's a very affordable venue. So it's definitely a prime choice. That's fantastic. So then how did your friends and family react when they found out where your wedding was going to be? Oh, everybody was ecstatic. My side of the family is a large Italian 
family and we're all from New Jersey. So everyone was like, oh, we get to plan a weekend to Disney World and you've given us an excuse. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. <laughs> so they couldn't wait to get on the bus and come down, especially because they're all Disney fans and, you know, Disney families. My husband's family is actually more to the universal side, but his closer relatives have a, a very deep love of theme parks overall. So they were also excited, even though it wasn't a universal wedding. We got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> so how many guests did you invite and how many were able to make the trip? So our guest estimate to Disney for our contract was 127 people. By the time we had signed our second contract with COVID and then actually gotten to invitations, we had invited just over 100, I think it was 106, and we ended up with 75 on the day, including my husband and myself. That's great. Now, did you set up a room block for your guests? We did not. We knew we would have, especially with, you know, my aunts, uncles, grandmoms, who are all were involved with the wedding and the the rehearsal dinner and everything, we knew they would need rooms, but we didn't necessarily feel comfortable signing to the guarantee about specific resorts. We didn't want to corner anybody into feeling like they had to spend above means, and we didn't want to try to dictate what means meant for anyone, because my family wanted to stay in the Grand Floridian, but also we are fully aware that that's not something for everyone. And that's totally everyone's personal choice. So we didn't want to make them feel like they needed to go down that route. Got it. Now, how did you choose the day of the week and time of day? I'm guessing since you wanted Tower of Terror, it had to be after park hours. So you're kind of limited on your time of day. Yes, time of day was what it was. And it actually was a little bit of a battle, only because with the overnight wedding, Florida law states that you can't serve alcohol past 2 a.m. So when you have a park wedding and you can't start before at least 10 o'clock, and ideally, you know, we had a 30-minute ceremony, which was just enough. We just about made that goal. And um, we started our reception by... 11:30 I think it was. So when we got to that point and you start with all the bigger wedding moments like first dances and speeches and everything and dinner gets served without a cocktail time really. We had 20 minutes maybe of what we called pre-reception because we didn't really have a cocktail hour or 30 minutes or anything like that. The bar was only open for maybe 2 hours for guests to enjoy. So when we signed our contract, we signed to a 10 p.m. time. And then over our planning period, we found that we were we kept getting pushed back kind of slyly via, you know, a document or an email where I had to read the detail to see they had moved my ceremony to 11 p.m. And then we went back and forth about that because of that time restraint. So we ended up having our start time as 1030 even though we had park delays, so we really didn't start until 10.45. So it was 10.30 with 30-minute ceremony, 20 to 30-minute break for 
intimate pictures and relocating guests and then the reception to start at 11.30. Okay. And how did you choose the day of the week? We definitely wanted a Saturday just because we knew that a lot of people would be traveling in. I think all in all, there was probably 20 locals at my wedding and everyone else was out of town. So we wanted to respect the weekend time for them to be able to come in on a Friday and leave on a Sunday. We had guests literally leave from our reception. They got the earliest flights out and they went to our reception until 4 a.m. And then they went right to the airport for the 6 a.m. flight. So I wouldn't recommend that to a lot of people, but that was their choice and they wanted to do it. So the Saturday was important and we ended up with February because it fell in a time where there were lesser family milestones. And I suggest that to everyone because we found a hole where there weren't really any birthdays. There weren't really too many holidays. There weren't really many reasons to be traveling other places so that when we had our anniversary, we kind of had a minute to celebrate. That's fantastic. Now you talked about how the Brown Derby was pretty much your ideal reception venue. How did you choose Tower of Terror for the ceremony? So my husband and I are definitely both spooky people. Uh, (laughs) I'll just start with that. But we also are film people. So when we kind of landed in Hollywood Studios, there was a minute of toss-up because my husband is a diehard Indiana Jones fan. And, you know, we talked about The Hub and we talked about Indiana Jones and we talked about a lot of things. But in the end, the Tower of Terror and the way that the courtyard kind of functions as the actual venue, it really does kind of transport you out of that theme park environment, unlike any other venue in that park would. As you walk down that path, it really, you know, it sets the tone. It gives your guests kind of a a prelude to the wedding and gets them kind of separated and in the mindset of like traveling to a different place, which I'll definitely give Imagineers credit for. So once we got down to the seating area, you know, there's a ton of greenery around. So you're not seeing a bunch of back of house space or other attractions. And the building is this beautiful piece of architecture that you really don't get a chance to appreciate. So uh, we thought it would be nice for guests to sit there for, you know, whatever their load in time was and really just kind of take in the moment. Another benefit of Hollywood Studios is in another life, I did actually work for Disney for a time and I worked in Hollywood Studios overnight a lot. And I always said that overnight in Hollywood Studios was my favorite place in the world because you get everything that it's meant to be without all of those day-to-day things that you can't escape at a theme park like other people. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, just sitting on a park bench at that park overnight was just one of those like happy places for me. So being able to channel that into another happy moment was a really nice kind of emotional connection for me. That's wonderful. Now, I know it was probably the opportunities were limited when both your reception and your ceremony were in the park, but were you able to use outside vendors for any aspects of your event? It was kind of an odd time because of COVID and not only because of COVID in general, we landed in a time where the transition back to, I will say, quote unquote, normal life was happening, especially for the park. So 
we had a couple restrictions overall. They had supplied us with a couple vendors that they said they were fine using, but there was a hard line as to how Disney could then communicate and kind of coordinate with them. Like Disney would not take any of our things, anything that we brought or another person brought or vendor to any of our events, they would not take and set up in any way. So that led to me assembling a, what I call team decor with a couple of voluntary husbands and boyfriends and significant others of my bridesmaids and some family members who weren't going to were extended family and weren't necessarily going to be in the, the family portrait session to actually haul in all of our boxes with the groomsmen as they got to the park and set up both of our venues in a matter of 45 minutes. So it, it got very complicated. <laughs> wow. What kind of stuff did you have them set up? We had two large Moroccan room dividers. One which was critical for the ceremony because if I'm sure every one of your listeners is familiar with the way that the courtyard functions and it's the exit retail for the attraction. So where you actually have your altar, if you use it in the more traditional sense with the architecture is in front of those doors and Disney will not allow you to turn off the lights or cover any of the merchandise windows or signage when using that venue, which was a detail that was not told to me until later in the planning process. So we ended up finding an eight foot tall, or I'm sorry, it was six feet tall, Moroccan room divider that was four or five panels wide so that when you were taking photos and videos of us, you weren't seeing right behind our heads the retail space, which was something that was very important to me. So we had that for that one in the ceremony. And then we had a matching one in the reception behind our sweetheart table because our sweetheart table was placed. If you (laughs) bear with me, I'm going to draw a little mental map for everyone. (laughs) The way we organized the reception was you walked through the traditional lobby of the restaurant into the main dining room down the stairs, the floor space from that point was all dance floor so we removed all the tables from the floor level and we used all of the existing booth space on the bottom level for family and extended significant others and plus ones and then the risen level of booths that surround the room as other guests friends work friends all of that was up there so in the portion if you're in the main dining area where our dance floor was, which is where the tables usually are. And you turn to the left-hand side where the main arch is, and there is a single table that's in a very spotlight sort of area on a risen platform in front of the bar that's in the main dining area. We chose to put our band there. So the opposite side of the room was where we then put our sweetheart table. So when you were on the dance floor, you could either look to the left and see the band or the right and see us. So since we were in the actual archway leading into that bit of kind of patio area, transition area where there's a lot of doors leading outside, we put another divider behind us so that that kind of cut that space and gave us more of a picturesque kind of background for photos and such. 
So we had those two larger dividers, which were our, our biggest pieces. We had a glass ceremony, which consisted of a large kind of vessel and then two smaller vase-esque vessels for the glass pieces and the glass pieces themselves. We had a table that was a memorial table that one of the booths up in the top right-hand corner we had set. The intention was to have it set with place settings, and then there was a photo for each place setting for the people who couldn't attend but were there in spirit. We also had a neon sign of Rick's Cafe American in the lobby area when you entered, which was uh, something I always wanted. It was like the one thing I always wanted at my wedding. <laughs> we have a, it's, it's about three foot wide. I'm looking at it mounted at the wall and about two feet tall. So that was a, a bigger piece. We had an easel that that sat on. We had a welcome table with a silver bowl of personalized matches because we made a caricature that was ourselves to go with the theme of the Brown Derby that was similar to the silhouette of the Casablanca DVD case. So we had that put on matches which were on the table. The way I did my guest list was actually I created a reservation book, kind of like a prop looking reservation book that had everyone listed in handwriting as if they were actually checking in with a maitre d'. So that was on an easel on the table. We had a light that was then placed over the easel on the table so you could read the book. We had an actual framed caricature that we had done, which was also on an easel on the gift table. We had a guest book. And we also had something which is really fun, which no one had really talked about ever and I found in a deep deep TikTok hole was something called after the tone it's a really really cool service and what they do is they have like an old-fashioned telephone it comes in a variety of colors and you set up with them and they mail you this telephone and the telephone is set with a tape recorder so it functions like a regular telephone and what it does is it's a auditory guest book for your guests to actually leave you a little bit of a voicemail during the evening. All they have to do is pick it up, record their message, and then make sure the receiver is placed completely down. And then you mail the phone back to the After the Tone people in LA after the event. And then two weeks later, you get a voice file that they edit very cute with a little dial tone and a ring. And then it's all of your family's messages linked together assembles all the messages for you and then you can have it put on a USB if you want and it's just a really nice it was something we had done and then forgot about and then got a couple weeks later and it was like a, a nice little moment to be like oh the messages I completely forgot and everybody was very cute about it so it was fun so that was also on the lobby table what a great idea yeah it it was really a cute thing and I was a little worried that people wouldn't necessarily take to it because not everyone is <laughs> an outgoing musical theater kid. But luckily for me, I had a lot of those at my wedding. So <laughs> they were just fine. <laughs> so then how did you choose your officiant? We did not go down the religious route because neither my husband or I are, are super religious. So we chose a friend of ours who 
is one of my closer friends after I had relocated into the Orlando area and him and his wife had been our kind of couple friend as we began dating and then grew into engaged and then to married. So it was a bit of a personal connection that he could kind of see the whole arc. And it was someone that kind of came into both of our lives around the same time, me a little bit before. He was a great officiant. That's wonderful. Did you add any kind of entertainment to the ceremony, like a musician or the major domo? So our entertainment at the ceremony was just the violinist that came with our wedding package. However, we did do a lot of our own music for the ceremony and the reception because I found it easier and I wanted it to fill in the space more than just the violinist could. So I found tracks, musical tracks that were instrumental of a couple significant like film themes. We actually walked down the aisle to a beautiful piano rendition of Spectrum Magic on this magic night, which still makes me emotional to this day. Uh, (laughs) Probably one of my favorite parts of the whole wedding. But what I did was when I found those instrumental tracks, I also made sure that I could find a violinist accompaniment for those tracks so that the violinist could complement the canned music coming through the sound system. That's great. Now, you said you had a band at the reception. Can you talk a little bit about how you worked with Disney to get the right band? I mentioned previously that I, in a previous life, had worked a little bit with Disney, and I had a familiarity with a lot of their musical offerings. And I had a specific band in mind from a venue on the Disney Wonder called Tiana's Place. And they have, if you're not familiar, it's called the Crawfish Crooners, which is a three to four piece. It's it's a bit bluegrass because of the restaurant theme. But what they do is they're all acoustic and they only have a couple key moments where they do parades and little entertainment offerings where there's any sort of canned music. And this restaurant is rather big and they really can fill the room, which was something I knew from our venue being so kind of intimate and that space where we specifically wanted to put the band being restricted, that that was something that was going to be critical for us was being able to really monopolize on a few pieces that made a full sound. So we we started the planning for the musician and the entertainment for the the entire event very late in the game. We actually had some delays in our planning process. We didn't start planning until 45 days before the wedding due to some communication issues with Disney and some unresponsiveness from our planner. So those 45 days were, were very critical and involved a lot of requested meeting check-ins and emails to get things going. So when we started to actually even talk about entertainment, I think it was close to two weeks before the wedding. And I did provide some reference to that specific band I, I wanted. Unfortunately, Disney kind of took it as a, okay, we can duplicate this exactly which is a problem we kind of had overall, which you think that that would be 
what you would want is an exact duplication, but I was really hoping that they were going to use their expertise in events and, and entertainment and everything else to, to build on what, you know, the, the creative concept that I was presenting to them. And that was something we did not receive. So I got a little tripped up at points in the planning process because they were being too on the nose with the duplication of things that we were talking about and discussing. So what they ended up doing was finding the video that I had sent had three people and three specific instruments and they had assembled three people with those three specific instruments that definitely weren't any sort of actual band. So there was a kind of performance disconnect there overall. They weren't very cohesive. So we had to revisit the whole kind of concept and, and reiterate a few things and, and talk it through. And uh, we were actually met with a bit of resistance to the idea. I was told that that band didn't exist, which was personally very funny, considering I had sent them an actual band that did exist. <laughs> but... Turns out after a little bit of pushing and a little bit of research, they did come out finding us a, a fantastic band who was just phenomenal. They were called the Champagne Orchestra, and I recommend everyone look them up on YouTube. They play Garden Rocks a lot in Epcot and um, then other private events and venues, and they um, can go up to, I think it's like, 12 pieces if they want. They specialize in kind of a postmodern jukebox vibe, but not so intensely stylized where it goes into the deep end. It stays a bit more mainstream, but it still has that vintage kind of flair to it, which was important to me. So we were able to work out with them that they could provide us a four-piece band and then a male and female vocalist for the event, and we would be able to fit it into the venue. I will say that once we actually were able to get into contact directly with the Champagne Orchestra, they were the easiest people to work with over and above exceedingly nice. They even learned some songs for us, which just absolutely made the night because one of the things I really wanted having a Casablanca inspired wedding was as time goes by played. And they actually learned that for us. They also learned our first dance, which was an Ed Sheeran song. And they also sing in multiple languages, hmm. which was very fun for Casablanca is, uh, it has a lot of French and Italian influence because it's about World War II. Uh, so uh, it was fun to have the lead singer, uh, she sang A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes in French, which was just awesome. It was, and she sang it extra specifically for us because obviously with the time crunch we had, there was a, a couple things that you know, she really worked with us on to make sure that the event was what it was because they also have a larger entourage of musicians and then can kind of assemble what they need on the day and what kind of sound would be best for the room. So she really, she really worked because by the time we got them contracted and on board and actually talked directly, I think we were, you know, uh, six days before the wedding. Wow. So they, 
they rehearsed and learned songs and turned everything around for us in, you know, a snap of the finger. So they were great. That's fantastic. Do you have any menu items or cake flavors from your reception that you would recommend? Yes. I loved our cake. Our cake, I still say, is the best part of our event. It was the one thing that I walked in and it looked exactly as I wanted. It was beautiful and perfect and nothing was wrong with the cake. Um, So (laughs) we had lavender cake with lemon mousse and it was fantastic. We did the satellite cake tasting where the Grand Floridians assembling boxes for you and you go and pick up the box you know you you send in an order form with certain requests because obviously they they limit the amount that you can get and you pick up the box and you take it home and kind of do your cake tasting yourself we actually did it twice not to be gluttons but to make sure we really wanted that flavor (laughs) because we kind of went through a lot of different combinations because we wanted something that was a, a bit different and unique and still kind of spoke to our um, event as a whole. Like I had originally thought of something with like honey and lavender or pistachio because those are kind of Middle Eastern dessert things. But the lavender and the honey was actually just phenomenal. And um, like I said, the bakery, I sent them a photo of what we wanted, but I adjusted the colors because it was a very bright, it was a two layer cake that was purple fondant and turquoise fondant and then had Moroccan ribbon, pressed ribbons around that had that kind of mandala design going around in a gold metallic and then a a beautiful gold rose with some sprigs out of the top. So I had sent that to them and I wanted just white fondant and gold and it was just gorgeous. That's wonderful. The other thing that I fought for, which I was definitely happy that I fought for, was the Bavarian cheesecake from the Biagatten. We served that at our wedding. And it was a secondary dessert that was served right after the entrees while we were cutting the cake. And that was something that, you know, I had to pull a couple strings and ask a few questions. So to all the brides out there, if you think you want anything available on Disney property, make sure that you ask for it. Because I asked and I pushed and I kind of played with pricing and coordination of the logistics. And um, I got my Bavarian cheesecake and it was magical. So (laughs) that's awesome. Any savory menu items you would recommend? For the savory menu, that was another point of complication in our planning process. We had had our initial call and did a lot of, we're just curious how much would beef wellington cost because i know gordon ramsay serves it to events so it must be something you can make for a wedding how much would it cost for you guys to do that and a couple other things in in that vein and then as i said we had nine months of silence Wow, (laughs) nine is a little exaggerating probably seven months of silence uh with our planning process and um we ended up going to they had been canceling tastings for menus for for brides and grooms because of COVID. So they were doing this kind of group tasting where we got an email that we could register to go to the Grand Floridian and it would be with other couples and their guests. And it would be a menu 
not your menu or not anyone else's in the room, but just an assembly of food, which, you know, at that point, because we had not heard anything from our planner, we were like, we're going to take advantage of. So when we got to this event, we were a bit blindsided because it was handled kind of like a guerrilla planning session, which we were not really prepared for. I'll explain what that means. A couple of the head honchos were in the room and they got up and had all their speeches about the the Disney way and how they do planning and the experience and everything like that. And as someone who up until that point had been kind of let down by the planning process, I was (laughs) intensely frustrated uh, to say the least. So we were kind of taking in the event and they had the head chef for Disney weddings and they had some of the planners in the room. Again, not your planner, just some planners. And they were going to walk around to each table and do some, I guess, brushing up of your BEO for the event, your your order form for, for what you were getting for your wedding. So that was a very interesting thing for us to hear because we didn't have anything. We didn't order anything. We hadn't done anything up until that point. And this was December 18th. And my wedding was February 12th. So... The planner came over and plopped down a very large stack of paper. And she said, you know, here's your BEO. Here's your banquet event order. It's got all the details of your wedding. And we're going to step through here. Let's start. So we were like, um, what wedding? Because that's not my wedding. We haven't done anything. So <laughs> I don't know what's on that paper. So we kind of stepped through and there was a ping pong game of yes, but, oh, but we can do this. And I was like, great, but we have this complication, so on and so forth. So we were called to get plates and my now husband and my mother got up and I said, great, I'm going to sit here and drink all this free wine because that's how I'm feeling right now. You guys (laughs) go get some food. (laughs) So they got up and went over to the buffet style, you know, of the various entrees that they had selected. And they were talking about my frustration. While they were doing that, the head chef, Chef Lewis, who again is another person I couldn't speak more highly of, overheard their conversation and got a little bit concerned. So he came over to our table and, you know, our my mom and husband came back and they were like, somebody's coming. They're going to talk to us. Somebody's coming. And we're all excited. And I was like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. So Chef Lewis did come and sit down and he said, okay, let's go over your food. Here's your entrees and here's your menu. And I was like, again, what, what menu? We haven't chosen anything. So I don't know who chose what's on that paper, but it wasn't us. So our saga kind of unfolded and Chef Louis was like, okay, well, you and I are going to run this down right now. Let's go through all the details. Let's ask every question. What do you want? Where do you want to go? And this, again, was where that topic of the duplication came up, because an answer we get as Disney brides is that they can do anything. And that's great. Yes, they can do anything. But everything also has a cost. And we need to be fiscally responsible overall. So we kind of got that point across to Chef Louis of like, I appreciate that you can do anything, but we need you to do these things. And you need to have a bit more of a guiding hand with this whole process, because we can't just keep throwing darts at a wall. 
and then end up with a $150,000 wedding. That's not what we're doing here. So um, he stepped through and uh, was very kind and listened to all our questions and concerns and, you know, my obvious frustration. And he turned at the end of the day and said, listen, you're going to get an email on Monday and we're going to get this going for you. And I was like, okay. And he was like, no, no, you're going to get an email. And um, wouldn't you know it, I got that email on Monday. (laughs) So (laughs) he guided us through all that to say, he guided us through our menu in a very specific way. And we did stick to some of the offerings that are presented in the planning guides that Disney sends you initially. But we did sort of fear in small ways, different places. Um, Some of the things, this is a perfect example, again, of make sure you ask for what you want. Because one of the pieces of that conversation was he was like, okay, well, do you want an appetizer? You know, and I was like, maybe soup, but you can only have the, I think it's called like the harvest vegetable soup, which is seasonal vegetables at the time. And I was like, well, like, what does that mean? And he was like, well, what kind of soup would you want? And I was like, Italian wedding soup would be great. It's an Italian wedding. And he was like, well, you know, I feel like the harvest vegetable soup at that time on that day just might be Italian wedding soup. (laughs) And I was like, well, you know, that sounds like a great plan. (laughs) So uh, it was things like that, that, you know, that one-on-one conversation really, really helped with and kind of made our savory menu what it was. I think I ended up having the, I think it's a beef tenderloin as it's listed in the menu. And then they made me a special sauce because one of their options was like a, a pesto cream and I can't have pine nuts. So they offered to make me a different sauce. And they also made my husband a different sauce because it wasn't an option for the chicken dish that he wanted. So they made that concession for him. But I will say that from the guest perspective, what we heard later was that they have a lobster horn on the hors d'oeuvre menu, on the pass hors d'oeuvres that everyone could not stop eating. Like people were stealing them from other, like a guest literally came up because they they make the bride and groom a little plate of the pre-reception orders they don't get to eat. And one of our guests came up and he was like, are you going to eat those? Because like, <laughs> I want them. <laughs> I was like, please take them. It's fine. You can have them. So that was definitely a hit. One of the tidbits that Chef Lewis did pass on was try to stay away from hot hors d'oeuvres because they never actually end up hot and you're only going to end up disappointed. So <laughs> that was from the chef's mouth. So we went with that. We picked four cold, quote unquote, cold hors d'oeuvres, but they weren't like cold salads or anything. They were just not warmed and um, they were a hit. That's awesome. Now, did you guys add a dessert party or a welcome party to your event? We did not. Um, we kind of let everyone be their own Disney trip planner and uh, enjoy their time that they were down to, to visit and go to the parks. And I shouldn't be shocked by it, but a lot of people did again, like go to the parks all day before the wedding and then go to the wedding and then somehow got up and went to the parks all day again after the wedding. Wow. Yeah. There was a lot of commitment there. (laughs) So I commend them. 
But um, I did give the advice to all of my guests, especially my bridesmaids, because one of my bridesmaids had approached me and was like, you know, we're going to make a big trip out of this. Should we go the week before? Should we go the week after? What do you want? What do you think? And I was like, well, if you want any hope of fitting into your bridesmaid's dress, I would say <laughs> go after so that you can enjoy yourself and get the, you know, the more tense and intense moments out of the way first. So they stayed the week after and they've told me that that was definitely the way to go because they were able to, like I said, enjoy themselves and not worry. And it was a continuation of the celebration as they put it. So it worked out. That's a great tip. Can you give my listeners a timeline of how the wedding day ran? Yes. I had made a, a production schedule, something that I I, ha I come from a production background, so it's second nature to me, but I would give this advice to any bride. One thing that I learned over my process communicating with Disney was that you need to read everything the, with a fine tooth comb and print it out with a highlighter and a pencil and mark it up and keep an account of everything. Because there were a couple times where I was double checking the timeline and some other details against the timeline that I had assembled and things were out of order or there wasn't enough travel time or getting ready time had disappeared or, you know, uh, the, the men on their bus arrival was 20 minutes later than it should have been all kinds of stuff that just and it changed almost every time we got a new a new BEO so mm -hmm. um, I would most definitely recommend everyone make their own even if it's as simple as a bulleted list in word production timeline of how you want the day to go and make sure that you send that to your planner almost with every email um, because it will it will save you in the end so anyway the day of our wedding we started actually getting ready at about, I think all the women had to be at my mother's house because the makeup uh, team, hair and makeup team came to my mother's townhouse, which is very close to the backside of the Magic Kingdom, if you're familiar with the area in, in Windermere. Um, we all had to be there at one o'clock. So we had 11 people getting hair and makeup between the five bridesmaids myself, my mother, and then my husband's mother and assorted aunts and grandma uh, getting ready. So it took almost exactly the amount of time. So we were getting ready from one o'clock to, I want to say it was 7.30. We had to leave to drive back to the Grand Floridian, which is about a 10 minute drive from that townhouse. So, and literally I was getting finished as people were like getting out of the door and shifts to go because it, it took that long to get all those people through and, and get everyone situated and sorted. The men obvi obviously had it a bit easier. Uh, they did go to, they made barbershops appointments earlier at a barbershop downtown. So they had gotten up earlier, but then had some of the afternoon to relax and kind of rest. Um, and they weren't due to get ready until we got our getting ready rooms at about 7.30. Something that we were kind of forced into at the time, because like I said, it was that weird transition period between COVID regulations and normal quote unquote life. Um, we were forced to get getting ready rooms. 
I don't recommend it. If you can do everything in your power to avoid it, which I think you can now, part of the reason why is because Disney would not let any of their employees or their approved vendors into a private guest room. So no photographers, no videographers, no nothing were allowed to go into guest rooms, which obviously pose an issue for getting ready for your wedding because some of those photos, it's all preference, but it was kind of a priority to me to have those little photos of our invitations and our rings and, you know, the dress and everything else. So we, we were forced into getting, getting ready rooms. We ended up in the St. Augustine salons at the convention center at the Grand Floridian. They came at a cost. You did have to meet a food and beverage minimum to get those rooms, um, which was not an ideal situation considering we didn't want them as it was, but so we ended up getting a, a bar that charged per head. You know, there was it was not per consumption. It was per head so that we could meet that that minimum. There was a bit of a logistical issue there because the getting ready rooms were not set up as they were supposed to be. We had been told because we had the bar, we had the salon and then the air wall was out in the salon and they said, OK, we're going to have the air wall up, obviously, because men can't see women because that was our preference for the day. We did not do a first look or anything like that. Um, so we, they told us, well, we need to put the bar between the air walls so everybody can access it, but we're going to bring a, a little room divider set up so that the bride could get dressed and, you know, everything would be still kosher and it would be the back section of the room at the very end where the air wall meets the other side of the room that it would just be off enough to fit the bar and a little bit of walking path. So we said, okay, that's fine. So we arrived and the bar was located outside, which was a shock. Um, and then inside, the air walls were open in the uh, direct center of the room. And because the convention center owns the space and the air walls, no one, no cast member that was still around at the time of us getting dressed could fix the problem because of the certain keys and access and whatever they needed to get to the air wall controls, um, which obviously posed a bit of a problem. So um, it was a bit of a stressful situation and I ended up sitting behind a room divider for almost an hour just to make sure that my husband and my father couldn't see me uh, while we were waiting to get dressed. Um, so that was a little bit of a circus but we were able to get through it. So we had our getting ready rooms for two hours. The men began taking photos at eight o'clock and lasted for 45 minutes. And then at 8.45, they boarded their bus to go to the park, which was supposed to arrive by nine o'clock and then return back to the Grand Floridian at 9.15 to then take us, the women, over. So... That was their timeline. Our timeline was that we were going to be getting ready while the men were off taking photos in the getting ready rooms from 8 to 8.45. And then at 8.45 to 9.30, the women would take their photos. 
starting with a first look with me and my dad from 8.45 to 9 o'clock. So then at 9.30, we were meant to board the bus and go to Hollywood Studios. So at the same time, guests needed to be at the Grand Floridian Convention Center under the overhang to get on their bus at nine o'clock and at 9.30, their bus was also leaving to go to Hollywood Studios. So we all boarded our buses at the correct time. When we got to the park, it's a little bit where a tiny bit of chaos ensued. Something I found out later from my husband was that their bus driver got lost, um, even though he is a Mears transportation bus driver and, and provided by the Disney company, he did get lost. And he circled around the park two to three times before they actually were able to get in and get to where they were supposed to, which made them about 20 minutes later than expected. Hmm. So that happened. Uh, on the female bus, we got there when we were supposed to. However, when we got there, they would not let us off the bus. They would also not tell us why they would not let us off the bus. Hmm. So after about 15 minutes, which, so just to refresh everybody of where we are in the timeline. So we got on the bus at 9.30 to arrive at 10 o'clock for my 10.30 wedding to begin. So I knew there was not a, a lot of window of uh, opportunity to make mistakes here. So when we got there at 10 o'clock and they weren't letting us off, it was uh, a little unnerving, um, especially as it got to 10.15 and they hadn't told us why. So eventually, about uh, 10, 20, 10.25, uh, a park ops cast member did come up and basically just, again, told us we weren't allowed off the bus. Um, and we were trying to find out why. And they said, well, park's not clear. So, okay. What also happened in the meantime was that, you know, the bus driver had stopped the bus and the lights had come on in the bus uh, across the way. We did not know that our guest bus, two guest buses, were also sitting there waiting and no one had gotten them or told them why they were also still stuck on the bus. So I had a little bit of worry that people could see me, which was a little bit of chaos. So we turned off all the lights and got that together. By 1030, we actually got the reason why <laughs> nobody was moving. And um, turns out that Tower of Terror that day had had technical difficulties in one of the elevator shafts, leaving only one elevator shaft functioning. They did not account for the fact that there was an event in the space after park close. They let guests fill the queue up until the actual park close minute, which is Disney policy, but typically they do try to discourage that when there's an event. So the ride was with one shaft trying to cycle out all of these people that they had left in the queue and no one could set the ceremony because that was the way they had to exit. Hmm. So we got park clear at 1030. I think everyone set the ceremony in 15 minutes or so. <laughs> I think it might've been 20 um, so at 1045, we all actually got off the bus and then started to slowly make our way through the park um, down to Sunset Boulevard. Um, 
on a personal note, I will say one of the most fun was walking through the park with guests because you felt very special and everybody was very excited and like ooing it on. So that was very cute, very cute side effect of <laughs> the delay. So I think we started at 10.50 um, and we began the ceremony, which was 30 minutes. Um, so then we were done at about 11.20 which technically we then had 10 minutes for the reception to start. So uh, all the guests were very good about quickly scurrying down to the pre-reception. And we began our photo shoot at that time. Um, our photographer was uh, very good about understanding that we had been delayed um, like that. And he worked very hard to make sure that we were able to get everything we needed in a quicker time span so we didn't lose out too much of the reception time that we began eating into. So by the time we actually got to reception, it was probably about 11.45. Everything started and we made sure that we could get through. Dinner was supposed to be served at midnight, which we pretty much held to we were only a couple minutes late on that so it wasn't too bad but again all of this to say that in the back of my mind I was very um, stressed out about the time for the bar and that guests could enjoy the bar because it had to close at two o'clock I did also make sure that I told my guests that ahead of time and that they needed to take advantage of um, the bar because it was not based on consumption. It came in the package. It was not a paid bar. So they were, you know, free to drink as they pleased. So I made sure to tell everyone to, to make, to really use that time to their benefit, um, which all of my guests luckily listened to me and did and had a fantastic time, even though the bar closed it too. So we got dinner around 1210. My husband and I started making our rounds after we ate probably around 1230. The dance floor opened at 1. The bar closed at 2 o'clock. And then at 2.30, we had um, opted for the novelty ice cream bar um, for our guests to enjoy since there was no longer any alcohol. Um, so we gave them sugar, uh, so, uh, which everybody was very happy to eat Mickey Premium Bars hand over fist. So uh, that all worked out. And then... We actually, our wedding was set to end at 3.30. It probably ended closer to 3.45. Um, and then by the time, the other tidbit, because um, I had previously mentioned that we had to set up the entire wedding ourselves, we also had to break down the entire wedding ourselves before we left that night. We were not allowed to leave anything behind or pick up anything later. So at 3.45, we began to break down the venue um, which my team decor was like, um, with military precision, they knew exactly what they needed to do. And they rolled out very quickly and uh, nicely. So that was um, a blessing in disguise. Uh, so that took about 30 minutes um, while guests began to load the guest bus. Then we were probably all shuffled out by park ops. About 4.15, I'm going to say. Back to the Grand Floridian, about 4.30. Then 
um, most of the guests had to, you know, drive to a different hotel and drive home. Um, one of the buses was late. We don't quite know why it was late returning, but it returned 15 to 20 minutes after the first bus did. Um, but they left at the same time. So that was a curious thing. Um, I'm assuming they got lost again. But by the time we, you know, all got back, got everything off the bus, let people say goodbye and leave, it was probably 5.30, 5.45 in the morning. And then uh, getting home and debriding was like 6.30. <laughs> so it was a long night. It was a long day into a long night, but it was great. So when you were planning, what were some of the most important aspects of the event where you focused your attention or your budget? Some of the most important aspects of the event were the entertainment. Wedding bands are a dime a dozen, but a really good wedding band is hard to find. Uh, so we were very happy with where we ended up, but again, it was also a major stressor. A large portion, due to the early inactivity of our planners and planning team, I kind of took it upon myself to say any variable that Disney didn't have to touch or have to manage, I was going to manage and handle just to kind of take that stress in a way off of myself because I was more stressed about the fact that nobody was doing anything. Right than I was to do it myself. Um, so I invested a lot of time and energy into those little pieces of decor. Um, a lot of things were either handmade um, by a couple uh, prop maker buddies of mine, or they were antiques. So like I got a lot of antique frames for the memorial table. The bowl that held our matches was an antique and I got that from Etsy the room dividers and such were a big deal. So it was those kind of little nuances that I then focused the majority of my attention to because I'm that detailed oriented person. That's what I look for when I do things or go places or, or see, you know, experiences. So I wanted to make sure that if I was at my own wedding, what would I see? And that included like the neon sign, which was a, not expensive, but it definitely could have been cheaper. The The design itself is more of a specialty because there's not too many people who want Casablanca. Um, so that was a bit of a logistical issue, but it ended up working out quite nicely. Then probably the other thing that was most important was the wedding attire. In a couple places, we got lucky because we just ended up finding things at least for me, my dress was very cost effective and I didn't actually know that until I went to check out. Um, so that was just a, a nice little blessing in disguise for me, uh, a shock, a little, a little surprise. And for my husband, I, prior to even, you know, finding a husband, I had always wanted my future husband to wear Rick's smoking jacket and um, his white and ivory smoking jacket and black pants and black bow tie from the film from when he's at Rick's Cafe. And we found a um, replica attire costume designing company in New Zealand that offered that. Um, so his attire was 
probably more expensive than your traditional groom. Um, but he looked spectacular on the day. So it all came, came out in the end. <laughs> and then were there any aspects that were less important where you saved your money or just your effort? I would say as, as weird as it sounds, um, floral probably ended up being that way only because in the initial kind of stages of planning, it got so out of hand and over the top that we needed to tone it back. And then when I kind of took the time to care about those decor pieces, I kind of let floral simplify. Um, the, the main idea that I wanted to get across on the day was that when you were at the reception, you were sitting in Rick's Cafe experiencing what you would on a traditional night in 1942 in a, you know, cabaret style cafe with the, the transient elite of, of the World War II era. Um, so a lot of things I then kind of veered away from was because I kept going back to that source material and really looking at some of the scenic design of the actual cafe and what was important to the scenic designers of the film. Um, and a lot of floral isn't really present. Uh, the tables are extremely simple with a white cotton um, tablecloth and a small reserve or reserve sign that is on the table in a beaded lamp. Um, so we use that aesthetic. Uh, we did not have big centerpieces, which also helped because if you're not familiar with actually eating at the Brown Derby, the tables are rather small. And um, we were fitting four people at each booth. So it wasn't tight, but it didn't, there was not extra space to be had. So we only had a single stem in a small, unique glass vessel. And I say vessel because they were all different. Um, we let Disney kind of go crazy with that and just said, you know, we want it to look antique and very simple and, and plain, for lack of a better term. Um, so that played to our advantage. And the other floral in the room was really centered around our sweetheart table, only because the infrastructure around that area does not exist because obviously it's a walkway in normal day time service. Um, so I wanted to make sure it had that moment to be a sweetheart table and have that kind of grandeur and frame to make it look, you know, intentional and special and, and unique. Our floral, <laughs> the floral at the ceremony was a bit of a complication only because of the fabulous Joffrey's cart, the Joffrey's cart that will haunt my dreams for the rest of time. <laughs> so as I mentioned previously, you know, I had a former life with Disney and back in my former life, um, the Joffrey's cart was temporary structure and it was mobile so that for events it could be rolled in and rolled out because the, it wasn't an original piece of infrastructure in that courtyard when Tower of Terror opened. What I didn't know was over the more recent years, it had become a permanent structure. So when we had signed our contract and kind of did our initial questions and answers with our sales team and then our initial planner conversation, um, I was assured that it was still mobile. <laughs> that was uh, 
not the case. And we found that out um, December 25th, actually, uh, (laughs) 40-some days before the wedding. So I was not pleased. Um, Disney was kind enough, I will say, to say that they would cover some greens to cover the structure um, because of the miscommunication. When I had done the production schedule, um, I also kind of made a, for, for lack of a better term, a show plan. And what that is, uh, is just a view, you know, a godlike view down on anything with basically dots representing all of your decor, right? It's like a map. So I had made this map for both the ceremony and the reception because of how much decor that my team needed to set up. Um, And they, you know, I didn't have time to prep them. I would be nowhere near them. And I didn't want to sacrifice the experience of, you know, my mother or my sister or anyone like that who would be more than happy to take those kinds of reins to do so. Um, and we didn't really have too many prep conversations because it was kind of a a spare of the moment situation. So I gave them a lot of detail so that they could handle everything by themselves. So on that, I had also provided it to Disney because it was, um, I included all the floral and how I wanted everything to kind of coexist in the space. When I had done that, I had taken our floral order And I had set everything very specifically so that um, the few pieces of larger floral that we did purchase, um, that included some five-foot candelabras, would basically build a small wall in the same kind of vein as the room divider did behind the altar, but on the opposite side of the aisle so that when I was walking down and the photographer and the videographer were focused that way, that that would build a small wall against the Joffrey's cart so that that would kind of distract you from it a little bit. We were also told that the lights would be turned off on the Joffrey's cart. Um, that did not happen, even though my, my groom did push the issue in the moment and they, we were just told no and they wouldn't cover them. Um, so what ended up happening was the Disney floral team set things incorrectly in that area. And rather than creating a small kind of visual breaking wall, they created a frame, for lack of a better term, (laughs) drawing more attention to the hideous cart with the light on the menu. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) that wasn't great. Uh, (laughs) But it happened and it's fine. It's like they subliminally wanted to sell your guests more coffee or something. (laughs) I know. And I was like, my groom is in AV production. So he is very aware also of those kinds of things. And he was literally like, can you get black wrap, which is like a sticky kind of, it's kind of like cling wrap that's just black and opaque and black wrap the light. So at least it's not like shining down on the cappuccino menu. (laughs) And they were like, no. (laughs) like oh okay cool okay so then what ended up being your favorite memory of your wedding day Mm, it's a great question I mean obviously you know 
the wedding ceremony as a whole uh, and the emotion of getting married to, you know, the love of my life, I, I'm going to take and put in a little box because that, you know, that usurps everything. So that doesn't really count in this conversation. So <laughs> um, if I had to go outside of all of that beauty and moments and everything else, um, honestly, it was we did a moment in the ceremony, which I've heard a couple other people do, but it, it's not as widespread as you would think where um, after we entered, before we actually kind of started everything, we had our officiant kind of introduce a moment for us to just turn around and look at everyone and see everybody and, you know, like look at the space and, and be in the moment. That during the ceremony was great, but then I also tried to do that during the reception as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And honestly, those little moments that I would catch other people just kind of interacting and having those one-off kind of eye contact things or like the little jokes in the corner, you know, like those types of things are the things that bring a smile to my face about the wedding. Because if the listeners haven't caught on, um, we did not have a great experience in planning and execution of a lot of elements of our wedding. So when we went into it, both my husband and I, because I could f kind of feel the impending doom of the situation, or at least, you know, I wanted to be smart about my expectation about what was going to happen because no person is perfect and people are fallible. And I completely understand that. We kind of said to ourselves, like, we're going to put blinders on to everything that we would typically notice because we're just those people. You know, we work in the industry, we, we work in production. It's, it's hard for us to go through an experience and not be like, oh, that audio is out of tune or, oh man, that light, not great. So we said, you know, this is our wedding day. We're going to put blinders on. We're going to look into each other's eyes. We're going to look into the eyes of our guests and we're going to see that. That's what we're going to see and that's what we're going to do and that's what we're going to enjoy. And that was the saving grace of the day overall. So it was all kind of small things where like everybody was dancing and I took a moment to myself just to sit at the sweetheart table and have a drink of water. And, you know, looking around the room and, you know, seeing my grandma dancing with my uncle and all my cousins and like this big happy little dance. And one of the groomsmen was trying to like make me laugh from across the room and, you know. You see the couple over there, like having a cute moment and like the romance of it. So it was all of that. That is the, the best part. That's wonderful. Was there anything that seemed like a big deal beforehand or you were worried about and then it turned out not to be a big deal? All those horrible things that didn't execute the way I wanted them to execute. I would say is that for the exact opposite argument of what I just said of, you know, you just got to let it go. You can't, you can't let it ruin the day and the moment. I will say that with a grain of salt, however, because I did not let it go when it came to the contractual deliverables and, you know, the actual business portion of what we were doing. Because although your wedding is your wedding and it's a beautiful moment and it's life-changing for you and all the emotions in it, when you go into something like this, you are still a client. You are still requesting services from a vendor or a company, whether it be Disney or whether it be someone smaller, you're entering into contracts and there is a certain 
portion of it that should be and is business. Um, it's an exchange of money for goods and services at the end of the day. Uh, whether you, you know, get married or you don't or have a baby or show up or whatever. So um, in the moment on the day, I definitely let go all of those issues and problems because it wasn't worth ruining something that I'll never have back. I did end up, you know, pushing for some sort of guest recovery later. That's a separate issue. So, you know, I stand by people, you know, fight for yourself, fight for fight for what you want and what you did and what you were promised and 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 all of it because you you are still the client and you are still expecting a certain level of service. Um, but all of the, you know, whether the entree went to the wrong person or the flowers were framing the Joffrey's cart or <laughs> everything was wrong and, you know, down the aisle or whatever, the event still happened. Everyone that I've talked to who was a guest is just overwhelmed with happiness. And I know everyone tells everyone that their wedding was the best, but I like to believe that, you know, my guests love my wedding the most. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. Now, is there anything you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Honestly, if there were was a way, knowing what I know now about the actual planning services portion of the Disney uh, wedding, that I could do it without them and not be penalized for it, I would have done that in a heartbeat. If there were any way I could have those venues and certain elements without having to be so restricted or, you know, just kind of smothered by them being the conduit for everything, I would do that. Mm. Okay. Do you have any other tips or advice for future Disney couples? Keep everything and not just for sentimental reasons, but in this process, like I said, there is a certain element that is business. Um, and if anything is to go wrong or God forbid, you know, the, the worst should happen, keep every email, keep every document, keep everything that you write up and send back to them. Um, keep your own logs of what's supposed to happen, why, when, what pieces and what people and be really like, I was very candid and clear with my guests. I made them a logistics email that I sent out a day or two before the wedding that included maps as to, you know, how far they would be walking from the bus depot at the front of the park down Hollywood, down sunset to the tower terror, back up to sunset to the, to the Brown Derby and then back out to the buses because people underestimate that that's a couple miles at the end of the day, when you actually do the math and when you're in heels and a dress, <laughs> you don't necessarily think about it when you're in Lulu's and sneakers, but <laughs> when you're in heels and a dress, it's a very different walk. Um, so those types of things, like I said, with the, I was very candid with my guests about the bar and everyone, you know, did phenomenally well and took drinks back to their tables and made sure they were stocked up for the rest of the evening and it all worked out and was kosher with all the rules. So that was perfect. Again, double read the fine print. There were a lot of things that just were in tiny clauses or were quantities that were unnecessary or, you know, extra buses just because, or I was fighting at the last minute because of 
the fact that my guest list had gone down from 100 to 75 and everything still said that they were, you know, renting chairs for 100, which is just going to make the event look empty. Um, so it's those types of little things that you just have to really follow up and follow through on because you're your own personal advocate. And, you know, if they obviously want to make you happy, they don't want angry, frustrated brides. That's not their point and purpose. But again, people are fallible and it's, it, it means a lot more to you whether there's 15 extra chairs than it does to Disney. Right. That's probably the most important thing is like everything about your wedding day means more to you than anyone else. So if you want to make it right, make it right. That's great advice. Well, Dan, and I think you've offered a lot of great tips and advice for anyone who's interested in getting married at Walt Disney World. And I appreciate your taking the time. Of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate being able to help everyone else who may be in my shoes later. That's our show for today. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward, inviting you to join me again next week for another episode of the Disney Wedding Podcast. Past shows and tons of photos for each episode are available on my website, DisneyWeddingPodcast.com, or listen in your favorite podcast app. And for instant answers to all your Walt Disney World wedding questions, check out Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at FairyTaleWeddingsGuide.com. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.